The following recording may contain explicit language. I can't get more explicit than may. Let's just say it may. It's Tuesday, April 9th, 2019. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Donald Trump, our president, Donald J. Trump, released uh, an election video, re-election video today. At least he tweeted something like that. I gotta say, this thing was really convincing. For one thing, it had images of him shaking hands with Kim Jong-un, which was, of course, a great triumph. And then it showed a screenshot of a Fox News headline saying, Mueller report summary released, showing no proof Trump team conspired with Russia. So take that, anyone who doubted the Cliff's Notes version of Total Vindication. And then there was a screenshot of Brian Cranston, because actually I'm uncertain why, which is right on brand for Heisenberg. And then there was a quote. Actually, the whole thing began with this great, great quote. It's a very familiar quote. If you know quote history, the words on the screen. First, they ignore you. Then they laugh at you. Then they call you racist. Ladies and gentlemen, the Michael Richards story. No, no, no. That is, of course, a riff on the great Gandhi quote. First, they ignore you. Then they laugh at you. And then you win. Well, is it a Gandhi quote? Trump said Gandhi said it, but Bernie also said Gandhi said it. Hillary has said lots of times that Gandhi say it. The thing is, Gandhi didn't say it. It's all part of my new book, Gandhi Didn't Say It, a compendium of all things Gandhi didn't say. The question is not where civilization began, but when it will end. Ah, Gandhi didn't say that. Be the change you want to see. Gandhi didn't say it. Try the Vindaloo. Gandhi probably said it, but it's really not that great a quote. Which brings us to, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they call you racist. Okay, that's more from the desk of the Gandhi of grievance, Donald Trump, but I think he and his team, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, they weren't trying to convince us this was a real quote, they were riffing. But on investigation, thank you, quote investigator, which is a very on-the-nose website URL, I found that the real quote, which not a Gandhi quote, it seems to date from 1919 when Nicholas Klein, a union leader, said this, pretty close to the misattributed quote. And my friends, in this story, you have a history of this entire movement. First, they ignore you, then they ridicule you, and then they attack you and want to burn you, and then they build monuments to you. That is really, really close to the quote ascribed to Gandhi. But you know what? Let me read the entire Nicholas Klein quote, because it's really interesting how it ends. So for uh, first they ridicule you, then they attack you, want to burn you, and then they build monuments to you. And that is what is going to happen to the amalgamated clothing workers of America. Oh, that all great quotes end with, and that is what is going to happen to the amalgamated clothing workers of America. Let's try it. If God did not exist, we would find the need to invent him. And that is what is going to happen to the amalgamated clothing workers of America. Most men lead lives of quiet desperation. And that is what is going to happen to the amalgamated clothing workers of America. I cannot and will not cut my conscience to fit this year's fashion. And that is what is going to happen to the amalgamated clothing workers of America. One more. I don't dance now. I make money moves. Say, I don't got to dance. I make money move. And that is what is going to happen to the amalgamated clothing workers of America. The question is, was he right? Was Nicholas Klein right? We know now if that is what did happen to the amalgamated clothing workers of America.
He couldn't then. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the Nicholas Klein quote with the actual circumstance that befell the Amalgamated Clothing Workers of America. Here we go. This really happened to uh, the Amalgs. First they ignore you, then they ridicule you, and then they attack you and want to burn you, and then they build monuments to you. And that is what we thought was going to happen to the Amalgamated Clothing Workers of America. Instead, they merged with the Textile Workers Union of America in 1976 to form the Amalgamated Clothing and Textile Workers Union, which merged with the International Ladies Garment Workers Union in 1995 to create the Union of Needle Trades, Industrial and Textile Employees, UNITE. UNITE merged with the Hotel Employees and Restaurants Employees Union here in order to create the union UNITE here. After a bitter dispute in 2009, the majority of the UNITE side of the union, along with some disgruntled here locals, left UNITE here. That's right, they turned their backs on UNITE here and formed a new union named Workers United, led by the former president of UNITE, who is, by the way, of no relation, to Mohandas Gandhi. Thank you all for playing along, and let's all go to the polls and stick it to Brian Cranston. On the show today, I spiel about a thing that happened in last night's college basketball game. Look, if you hate sports, I do think this thing that happened regarding instant replay transcends the game. It's a discussion of when the ability of technology supplants the ability of humanity in a way that bends us towards enforcing rules we don't actually want to enforce. But first, Daniel Sloss is a Scottish comedian who takes great pleasure, as does his audience, in pushing and probing. He is a charming guy, and he calls bullshit on himself, and then he does so on others, and then back to himself. He has two Netflix specials out now, and he has a new show that's touring the world and will be back in the U.S. in June. His live show is called X, or maybe it's not X, and we were talking about a lot of things, and then we got to talking about what his live show is called. So you'll work with me here as it's one of those super cool rolling star convos that you love to hear so much when someone's interviewing a comedian. Enjoy. Do you call the show X or 10? I call it X, but yeah. I just, I yeah, because uh, it is the 10th show, which yeah. is why I'm calling it 10. Yeah, I want to see if anyone accidentally called it Kiss, just like Tiger Sauce. Oh, yeah, see. XXOO. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just see if anyone did that. Like, I'm here to see. Uh, but then I also wanted to, like, really, really enforce it. Be like, pretend I don't know what X or 10 means. But like, right. can I get two tickets to Daniel Sloss 10? We don't we don't have that show here. We don't. We have Daniel Sloss. Well, that's an it. excellent, you know, that's a no pun intended. Sometimes puns are intended. Yeah. That's an excellent idea to get people to make the lip smack kissy sound. Yeah. Because what is language other than uh, provoking a word or a sound? And yet, how do we get people, like, I'd love to name this show something like, but what is that? Yeah, you can't really. It's because you can't. It's because you can't really spell sounds, and like very, 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 really, is onomatopoeia actually visually stimulating as the noise it makes? Right. Oh, uh, there's a. Th I guess there would be then a third version. It's uh, something that's onomatopoeic, but also the visual of the word. So it's not just that the sound of the word Russell sounds like the word. It's if the letters of Russell somehow evoked leaves, and I think emojis get at that. But there's one word, and yeah. I know this from internet memes, and the word is. Uh, boob. Yeah. Because boob, the big B from above looks like 
two boobs. Yeah. The two O's look yeah. like two boobs, and the small B looks like side boob. Right. So all of the word boob yeah. is boobs. Well, depending on your uh, font size of the one letter I in dick, you could maybe get there yeah, too. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if you go capital or lowercase, it's like a circumcision situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, because obviously everyone over here is uh, circumcised because you don't have free health care, so it's pushed on you <laughs> as a health option. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Let's get into it. Let's absolutely get you into it. You think that circumcision isn't healthier? No, it, no. It, medically, it's not in any way, shape, or form. Well, it's been it debunked is. a thousand I, times. I think the UN still recommends it. D- d- the UN absolutely does not. No, that's why it's not. There are two types of people who uh, take your position very fervently. Those who aren't circumcised and want to justify it, and those who are circumcised and feel cheated. No, no, I think it's more the fact that uh, when my when I was born, my parents held me up and they went, oh my God, look at this perfect child who we love unconditionally, whereas every single American parent of a son went just a little off the top. There is yep. nothing, you're not born with something that you don't need. Like outside of the appendix, we haven't grown out of we the We have many vestigial the reason, organs. The reason, the reason Americans get circumcised is because you do not have free health care. So it's another thing the doctor can add on. To, if the doctor can convince you to get circumcision, it adds onto the bill, and it's it's literally all financial. Well, first it's, of it's, all... If you go to the NHS in Scotland yeah. and you go, can I circumcise my kid? They'll go, no, that's child abuse. Uh-huh. Because it's child abuse. And then what would Mr. Feldstein say in response? Feldstein? Well, Goldberg, Feldstein. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh well, he would... <laughs> in America, it would be pushed for. You will not get... Unless it's a religious thing in the UK, you will not get any... Sometimes it is medical. I'll absolutely concede the fact that sometimes it is medical. But if you've got just a normal fucking dick, there is zero reason for you to be circumcised. That's why you... And also, that's why you have lotion when you jerk off. That's the thing, that's the thing that makes well, I no know, sense personally. to this the rest is how, of the This makes me feel connected to yeah. my European roots. You don't need lotion <laughs> if you have a foreskin to jerk off because it's nature's lotion. Really? Yeah. So I maybe it's not the medical industry. Maybe it's big lotion who's, big lo- pu- who's big, pushing this on it's us. It's big lotion. It, big it, jugs with the yeah. handle, pump oh, handle. The rest pump, of- lotion. Wait a minute, you're on to something. It's a conspiracy, man. It's all a conspiracy. <laughs> but it's genuinely, there's no reason. By the way, this counts as the interview. This is part of the interview. Great, absolutely. Yes. I'll happily. I have looked into it extensively because I have two sons oh. and I reviewed the literature. Mm-hmm. And as of when my sons were born, 2007, 2008, I would say the bulk of literature in peer-reviewed scientific journals said that there is a benefit to it. And as of that year— What's the benefit? Well, the United— uh, just about infection and I think something, I, I, you know, I don't have it in front of me, but it has something to do with a I communicable think you, I think disease. I think you just need your kids to disease. wash their dicks properly. Well, that's a thing, okay? A, Kai, Kai but the UN was still recommending it throughout the world and there were, and they did so based on If you pulled out all my teeth, I wouldn't have to brush them. Yeah. I wouldn't have to brush them. So, because, and my teeth can get infected. So your solution, as opposed to me just brushing my teeth regularly, well, there is, a cost. is to pull out all of my fucking teeth. No, I think you've gone maximalist on me. Of course I have. There is a, there how, is a how cost. How else bear to, to prove an argument? <laughs> no, look, Scotland is my favorite uh, country. Can we call it a country? Well, you can, it is. Good, good. It's a part. It's my favorite country. It's got all the good, none of the bad. I have a couple questions about Scotland. I think that it's in many ways a Scandinavian country that happens to speak English. Do you yes. feel that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Sloss is Norwegian for fight the history. Oh, so that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, yeah the history of uh, my family is obviously when the Vikings used to rape and pillage and have all their fun. Eventually, they decided to settle. So you'll find a lot more slosses down the east and the, uh, sorry, the, sorry, the north and the uh, west of Scotland and Skye and Isla and all the sort of places where the monasteries and monks, where they were easy targets for the Vikings to take over. And then you go from Thurso and Caithness and all these sort of places. That's where you tend to get a lot of blue, uh, blonde hair, blue eyes, Scottish people, because it's the uh, 
Vikings that sort of sailed over there. I would absolutely agree. I also think if Scotland did get independence, and I'll ask you about that, um, I think that they would very much be a Scandinavian-type economy. I think there'd be a bigger social safety net. I think that, you know, we know Mm. that they don't want the English nuclear submarines there. I just think it would be Denmark Mm. in 10 years with a lot of English speakers. Uh, I think also there was a lot of uh, optimism in the the Scottish independence vote. I I think we would have struggled for a couple of years. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, again, I've got limited information on this, but I think it's stupid to base the future of a country on a finite resource, but hasn't stopped the rest of the world. So <laughs> why should it have stopped? It's been us? a decent organizing principle for millennia, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, the only reason Scotland didn't vote uh, yes in the independence referendum is because we were told under no uh, doubtable circumstance by the Tory government of England that if we if we stayed in the UK, we'd stay in the EU, and then we all voted to stay in the EU, and because the fucking English believe the Rupert Murdoch fucking magazines, we're being dragged, kicking and screaming. Yeah, of, uh, although the Brexit vote yeah. died in Scotland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, and the SNP controls everything, right? It did, uh, yeah. but thanks to their failure in the in the, all that referendum, it's, we're now, for the first time ever, there are Tories sitting in Scotland. Oh, so Labour's done and some Tories... Yeah, Labour, oh, because Labour's, because they got, because Gordon Brown, the ex-Prime Minister yeah. who was Labour, came out and told all the fucking pensioners of Scotland that if they voted to leave the UK, that they would lose their pensions. So he fear-mongered them into voting, and and obviously, the elderly vote more than the youth because they have more time on their hands and they're spiteful in general. <laughs> well, you can't criticize someone for voting. It is good to vote. Uh, I think if you've got three years left, no. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I think we do, decent, we do require think, you to be 18, maybe if actuarially you, yeah, you are I, 95 my, and above. My, grandpa- no, no voting my grandparents, you. who I love dearly, yeah. who will be dead in five years, they will be dead in five years. There's yeah. no uncertain circumstance. They will be dead within five years. They voted on my kids' future. Yeah. That the right t- way or the wrong way? The wrong way. Oh, God. And I just think there should be a point where you just go, that, your, your opinion matters in the sense that we'll sit you down and we'll respect you, but you don't get to vote in the future of the country. And the same with that, a baby doesn't fucking get to vote in it. If you get to vote in the future of the country, I get to decide what home you're in. And guess what? It's a boat that's out in the middle of the fucking sea. So let me, let me ask you this. Part of the reason you do comedy, well, it's to get laughs and probably to get something psychological, but to some extent, especially the kind of comedy you do, is to change minds or at least get people to consider other opinions. Mm. If you can't do that with your own grandparents, is there just a different dynamic there? Because I face this too. Mm. I'll talk every day on the radio. It's mostly an opinion show on the podcast. And then people in my own life, I have no chance of convincing. And I say to myself, what am I doing wrong? Um, I think it depends how you go about it. We live in a society now where everyone tells each other how to think or what to fucking think. Whereas what I've slowly and very, very slowly over the years learned is that you cannot tell people what to think unless you run the media. Uh, if you're a human being, all you can do is go, here are my experiences and here are the conclusions I've drawn from them. And people can choose to understand that or not. But that's the thing I would say to my audience as well, and I think it's important, is you're allowed to disagree with me because also you might have had different experiences that made you arrive at different conclusions. Now, neither of our experiences are invalid. They can be. They're experiences, right? Our conclusions can be invalid. We can have arrived at the wrong conclusion. I'm never going to begrudge you for that because we've lived different experiences. But I just, for some reason now, we live in a world where if you disagree with someone on one thing, and I think it's a very, very left-wing thing, which is if you are not as left-wing as the person you're talking to, you are a Nazi. Purity tests. You're a Nazi. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. The reason the right will win and the reason the right will continue to ring is because the right do not care how far right-wing you are. They're just happy you joined in. 
It's like, okay, uh, do you believe in capitalism? Yes. Okay, do you uh, uh, believe in uh, that abortion is part of the go? Yes, okay. Oh, do you hate the Muslims? No. Ah, it doesn't matter. You're still on our side. You're still on our side. All right, that's where you are, but you're good at our team. <laughs> big we'll, tent conservatism. Yeah, we'll just not talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We even allow non-Muslim haters. Yeah. That's how big tent yeah. we are. They'll let them in. That's the thing that's very disheartening about being left-wing is knowing that until the day I die, I'm going to be on the losing side because every single one of my teammates sucks. <laughs> and they're going to continue to suck. And we're never going to... The left are going to lose until the end of time. Same as in America and the UK, do you 100%, think? 100%, 100%. Yeah. We're always going to lose. Because, it, man, I see left-wing stuff on Twitter where I'm like, even I on that... Like, that's what you're upset about. That's forcing me to, like... You mean cultural appropriation of a girl wearing a dress that has some Chinese embroidery oh, on man, it? Oh, man, I'm just like, this is... <laughs> like I'm like, you are playing the character of what the right think we are. Yeah. And... And I now have to stand up for you because even though I disagree fundamentally with everything you're saying, I still believe within your right to say it. Mm-hmm. But have the left lost or is it that yes. the goals, well, I mean, look, we have gay marriage. We have uh, more expansive abortion laws. They're under attack, but they're expanding. Marijuana is being legal. There's a more than a discussion, a move to talk about over-incarceration, maybe more in a, our country than yours. It seems the actual momentum of society is fitting in with the left's agenda. You could say, oh, uh, history is progressive. That's the definition of progress. But I don't know. I mean, there are times when we've entrenched and not gotten as much as many gains that a liberal would want as we have in the last 20 years. We're not happy about it. But in terms of actual gains, liberals seem to be doing all right. I, I would I would agree with you. I, I t- totally agree with that point. I th- I'm not saying I'm not saying we haven't had victories and I'm not saying we won't continue to get victories. I just mean that as a whole, yeah. like we'll never, like it, it'll happen the way it always happens in every, you'll get a left-wing government for about four years and then you'll get a right-wing one for eight because everyone, just after the 4-1, everyone just goes, yeah, oh God, that was, you know. Yeah, and uh, I think this is a failing of democracy that for as, as much as it's about macroeconomics or the threats from abroad, we just waver from left to right to left to right. We just want something new yeah, after yeah, yeah, yeah. six days. I just, I just don't think the uh, the left will ever truly unite in the way that I see the right uniting. So your new special is called X or Ten because it is your tenth special, yeah. and you're how old? Twenty eight. Twenty eight. Twenty eight. So you don't know. It's hard for you to answer the question. What was it like being successful f- so young? Because that's all you knew. But here's my question: When you look back at you've grown in the last ten specials. When you look back at special three or special four, which was maybe five years ago, six years yeah, ago. Yeah. yeah. Do you? Can you tell if you change just because of six years of experience? Or you change because of the de- the difference between twenty two and twenty eight. Uh, both, I would say, uh, when I was doing my first four shows between the ages of eighteen to twenty two, it was just jokes, man. I had nothing to fucking say. I had no opinions. Like I was, I mean, I did have opinions, but none of them matter. I mean, I don't think my opinions matter anymore. And I still, but people pay to hear them now, so I'm just like, well, here they are. Yeah. Um, I didn't have much to say. I was. I was more learning my craft then and sort of learning stage presence and trying to find out my voice or whatever it was. Because my shows before then were good. I hate them because they were just accumulations of jokes. like that. And, I, and again, which is weird because those are my favorite types of stand-up specials when it's just yeah. an hour worth of jokes. Dark well, was the when f- it's someone else's jokes, yeah, yeah, you hear it for the first time and it acts it, as a joke. Hey, you laughed. Yeah. The first time you thought of the joke, you were very happy yeah. with it. The thousandth time, it does nothing for I've you. I've got to put yeah. in a little bit more of it for me to keep me interested. Right. Um, I've never in my life ever written a show with a through arc intentionally. 
It's just something that comes from doing the show hundreds of times. You keep, you water it and you just see... The, it, it's up to the audience, man. Like, I'll do a joke, and if they start laughing more at a certain type of joke, I'm like, well, maybe I should just keep following that path until they stop laughing. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they will stop laughing. So I'll go back to the actual tree, and then I'll climb up the tree more, and then I'll, and then I'll branch off, and then that'll get a laugh. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's go see where the fruit ends here. And then when they stop laughing, I'll be like, and then we get back to the tree. It's all... Each of those is a different type of tree for me. So comedy with a through line and an ending, and the and the ending relates to the beginning. Awful. <laughs> but relatively new phenomenon, Ali Wong, Hannah Gadsby. Did you watch them? Were you influenced by them? You were doing it at the same time. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. But also, like, the, uh, as, and as much, uh, and I love Hannah Gadsby and uh, Ali Wong. Uh, that is not their format. That's a format of the Edinburgh Festival, and it has been a format of the Edinburgh Festival for close to 40 years now of shows that, you know, are shows. They want a coherent through. show. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's it's just something that happens on the on the Edinburgh Festival is, you know, you come up and you do the show every year. The Edinburgh Festival lasts 25 days a year. The population of Edinburgh doubles during the Edinburgh Festival. There's no festival. Like, apart from the Olympics and the World Cup, the Edinburgh French Festival is the highest selling ticket thing in the world. Yeah. And it's not every four years, it's every year and it's yeah. doing those numbers. And I remember those shows... You know, one one of the first ones was um, Jim Jeffries. Uh, this was like back in two thousand Australian comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. two thousand five. I remember his show where he was talking uh, about him growing up and being molested and just being like, "Oh my god!" Like I didn't know you could m- make this funny, let alone that you'd want to. And then, and the the show made sense. And then I watched another comedian talk about the death of his father, and it was the first time I ever saw a show when I was like twelve of people talking about something serious during stand up, and then. Mm-hmm. You know, these types of shows has existed for years and years and years and years. Uh, I just think it's only now that, because uh, uh, America doesn't have the Edinburgh, doesn't have a festival. Right. You don't have a festival. Well, we have, we have a new, we have fringe festivals, but it's yeah, not as but it's, but, established but, as that. No, but it's, it's also, not as curated as that. It's much looser in America. Much looser. Yeah. And also, it, it, it's not, it's not the end goal. For, in the UK, you write your stand-up and then you do it at the Edinburgh Fringe and then hopefully if the show goes well enough, you then tour it. But yeah. otherwise, that's the end of the show and then you write a new one for the next year French show. Because America's so big, because there's so many different circuits, it's not just like the UK where there's the UK circuit. There's the Chicago circuit, there's the Boston circuit, there's the New York circuit, there's the LA circuit. Uh, there's no need for you to write a new hour every year because you can get, you can use 20 minutes in America for... Five years, yeah. maybe, probably longer. Yeah. The same 20 pages traveling. Well, it's just artistically unstimulating for many comics. Oh, absolutely, which is why, the, and yeah. again, which is why America does it again. I, I'm not claiming that Americans have only that 20 minutes. They no, I know, but it is. It, it was viable for a, a way to do it for a long time. And when some comedians like Louis, but also Seinfeld said, I'm going to do, it, do a, a routine and then scrap it and not do it and then do a whole new one the next year, yeah. people's minds were blown. Yeah. But that was going that's, on for that's, a while. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> everyone over here is like Lou is the first to do it I'm like it's been happening for 30 years yeah. like across the pond Daniel Sloss's new show X or 10 or or what have you <laughs> has left the building meaning the United States but he will be back at the Soho Playhouse in New York for another show called Now on June 18th and of course his specials Dark and Jigsaw are on Netflix great to meet you Daniel thanks for having me and now the spiel Down two points with a little more than a minute left in overtime of the NCAA championship basketball game, the ball was poked out of Davide Moretti's hand. 
And in the ultimate game, at the ultimate moment, a play that could very well ultimately have determined the championship of college basketball was decided on a standard that neither I nor anyone else watching basketball had ever seen before. So let me give you a lay of the land if you don't follow basketball. There were 6,043 NCAA Division I men's basketball games played this season. Add to that 67 games in the NCAA tournament, plus 73 games in various and sundry second to fourth tier postseason tournaments. And I would wager that none of those games included an instant replay quite like the one that was used in this, the most important game. So, Texas Tech's Moretti had gained partial control of a loose basketball. And then his opponent, the University of Virginia's swifter, bigger, faster DeAndre Hunter, poked the ball away while it was under Moretti's control. Ball goes out of bounds, doesn't hit any other part of Moretti's body. The call on the court, which was pretty obvious to everyone watching at home and I think in the gym, is that the defender, Hunter, his jab caused the ball to skitter out of bounds as a million jabs in a million games of basketball have caused a million balls to skitter over the sidelines of playgrounds and YMCA gyms and yes, even a domed football stadium during the culmination of this 6,000 plus game season. By rule, instant replay can be used if there's a question as to who possessed it within the last two minutes of a game and the last two minutes of overtime. Oddly, not during the first three minutes of overtime, which when you think about it occurs after the last two minutes of the game. But anyway, that's just but one weird complication. When you watch this, it didn't seem like possession was in question. But upon further review, a curious detail emerged. One that had been undetectable to the naked eye. He's got his hand on the top of the ball, shoved out. Wow. Be right, Jim. Remember now, though, we see the top of Moretti's hand. We don't know if there's space between that finger and the basketball. And, you know, at times... Moretti's finger, his pinky, seems to have maybe been in contact with the ball after Hunter jabbed it away. So here's what I did, and you should too. Try this experiment at home and get someone to record it with your iPhone in slow motion. Hold a small object between your right thumb and forefinger. I used a little soup cracker. And then... Poke it with your left forefinger. If you're running the slow-mo correctly, you will see, depending on the exact nature of the poke, that sometimes the last body part to be in contact with your object, my soup cracker, sometimes it's the right forefinger, sometimes it's the right thumb, sometimes it's the left poking finger, depending on the quality of follow-through. I used a pretty big bag of soup crackers. Thank you, Helen Hardy. I got different results depending on the forcefulness of my poke, the speed of my release, and the quality and angle of the slow motion feature on my iPhone. On such distinctions, a national championship hinged. This exercise in Talmudic HDTV should never have come to be. The standard for instant replay reviews should be that a call must not be overturned if the evidence gleaned during instant replay would have been completely undiscernible to the naked eye. There's a similar thing that sometimes happens in baseball with instant replay. So a base runner will attempt to steal and he'll beat the ball to the bag. He'll slide in safely. But as the defender keeps the ball 
touching the slider's body. If you watch in super slow-mo instant replay, there have been times when the sliding player's body comes off the bag. Now, I'm not talking about he overslides the bag. There is a clear gap between him and the bag and the tag is made. If that happens, every umpire would be congratulated for making the right call. I am talking about a moment that would not be discernible with the naked eye, but what do you do? Because once you see it, even only through the aid of technology, it can't be unseen. I was thinking of some other examples beyond sports, where an unanticipated technology offers a level of quote-unquote accuracy that was unanticipated by the people making the rules. And sometimes it's complicating and actually doesn't make things better. The Cherokee Nation has a rule that traces membership, among other things, to a fraction of the ancestors' blood in the 1907 Cherokee Nation rolls. Now there are accurate DNA tests, and they sometimes call into question the purported fraction that was put down on those rolls, and that has caused people who have grown up and have always thought themselves as Cherokee and the other Cherokees think of them as Cherokees, but but they can be denied official certification as Cherokee. Also, Genetic testing allows for really, really exacting measures of purity on the enzyme level in adhering to kashrut, the Jewish dietary laws. Now, most Jews won't say, well, let's not get too technical. Many Jews will argue. But most Jews will say, if we know this, we have to follow this. But some Jews, if you talk to them, even if they're committed to keeping kosher, will ask, did God really intend for us to get this microscopic? I mean, he must have. He's God. All right, let's get back to the NCAA. Because that call last night depended on machine superseeing. And that's why it shouldn't have been celebrated as the right call. What the CBS announcing crew hailed as the right call is actually an inversion of the usual and proper basketball call, which would have always awarded possession to the poked, not the poker. The usual and proper call would have been enforced without incident, would not have been questioned 100% of the time if it wasn't for high-res slow-motion technology. Furthermore, I think if you were playing in a pickup game of the most honest people on earth, you know, Hindu monks who have vowed satya or truth, but still have mad hops, and a poke play like this happened, no one in that game, no truthful person who has a deep and abiding commitment to truthfulness would say, you know, on the way out of my hand, the ball might have been in contact with my finger. I ran that soup cracker experiment. I actually don't believe it's possible to perceive via the sense of touch or the sense of sight, contact with the pinky finger post-poke. You do it yourself. Helen Hardy's very generous with their soup crackers. Perhaps the Moretti fingertip fiasco, the fact that everyone's talking about it, perhaps referees in the future will say, well, in the first 38 minutes of a game where there is no instant replay, let's try to accurately call such pinky plays. It will be impossible to do so. The de jure standard will be that a clear poke that causes the ball to go out of bounds during the first 38 minutes of a game, i.e. the non-replay portion, will always be awarded to the pokies team. But a clear poke that caused the ball to go out of bounds during the final two minutes when we're looking at it through instant replay, slow-mo and otherwise, that may well be awarded to the pokers team, which is exactly what happened last night. The NCAA tournament is an entertainment property valued at approximately a billion dollars a year 
it is played by uncompensated teenagers. So I cannot in good faith call a weird instant replay rule the most unjust thing about college basketball. I will say it is the most eminently correctable thing that threatens the entertainment value of the sport. Therefore, it is the one thing that the NCAA should address in pursuit of its highest ideal, which is to say self-interest. And that's it for today's show that just was produced by Pierre Bienname and Daniel Schrader, who after the Texas Tech loss rendered their garments and went walking about the office, moaning in a raggedy form. And that is what is going to happen to the Amalgamated Clothing Workers of America. TJ Raphael is senior producer of Slate Podcasts. She hopes to join with the Union of Needlessly Professional Session Podcasters or Unprofessional Podcasters. The gist. When times are tough and the light seems dark, remember this. First they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they forget you in favor of Gandhi. Then you get into an internecine squabble with some very touchy needle workers, so you have that to look forward to. Oomperu depperu duperu, and thanks for listening.